to PA Centered, a podcast designed to help listeners be a part of the solution to end sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. Each episode, we will take on a topic or current event to help spark conversation and break down barriers to building communities free from sexual violence. It is February and Black History Month. Our collective work to advance racial justice must happen every day, all year long, over time. However, February and Black History Month offer us a reminder to learn about and help share the many accomplishments, rights, and needs of Black Pennsylvanians. We are excited to do just that in our PA-centered podcast. This month, we're celebrating two important Black leaders in Pennsylvania's legislature that are making history every day. Representative Donna Bullock, who joined us earlier this month, and Representative Joanna McClinton, who is our guest on today's episode. State Representative Joanna McClinton has served as a member of Pennsylvania House of Representatives since 2015, representing the 191st State House District, which includes parts of Western and Southwestern Philadelphia, Yaden, and Darby. Representative McClinton has worked as an attorney and policymaker for over a decade. She's a historic trailblazer, passionate advocate, and dedicated public servant. In 2015, Representative McClinton was the first woman ever to be elected from her district to the State House. Three years later, she became the first woman and first Black person in Pennsylvania's history to serve as chair of the State House Democratic Caucus. In 2020, Representative McClinton became the first woman elected to serve as Democratic leader of Pennsylvania State House, the oldest legislative body in the United States. Floor Leader McClinton is an advocate for people who often do not have a voice in the laws and systems that affect their lives. She is committed to reforming the criminal justice system, fighting discrimination, protecting reproductive health care and justice, improving education and youth programs for children, and helping Pennsylvania's build stable, rewarding careers in their communities. She's an advocate for voting rights and access, economically disadvantaged communities, substance abuse prevention and treatment, the rights of incarcerated people, and defendants who are indigent. She's been an influential and consistent partner to PCAR in our mission to help survivors and end sexual violence. And we are so grateful to Leader McClinton for everything she does to advance the needs of sexual assault survivors and to prevent sexual violence throughout the Commonwealth. We were so grateful for her leadership in sponsoring a bill that was enacted to criminalize acts of sexual extortion and her ongoing work to protect victims of human trafficking. This session, Leader McClinton is a prime sponsor of House Bill 1848, an important part of PCAR's legislative agenda this session to establish a statewide tracking system for rape kits. I am Donna Greco and I'm the Public Policy and Legislative Affairs Director at PCAR and I am so very grateful to connect with Leader McClinton today as part of Black History Month and to hear more about her journey and the dynamic ways she applies her leadership in her community, the General Assembly and our Commonwealth. Leader McClinton, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Thank you, Donna, this is very exciting. I'm glad to participate. I thought we could begin by asking you about your journey to where you are today as the House Democratic floor leader. Where did the road begin for you and how did you get involved in politics? 
So that is quite the story. I will, of course, condense it for our audience. I'll say that I grew up in a household where service was very essential. Uh, my mom, by day, was a secretary at a local university, and she also had a small business. She was a caterer and had a deli that served um, hot food every day, and she was always uh concerned about making sure people had employment opportunities, making sure that people, you know, were able to learn about business through her, um, but more importantly in our church, learning about um, giving to kids, giving to children and youth, taking her summer vacations from her day job to run a camp. And so because she ran a camp, I volunteered at that camp where I was voluntold. Um, but growing up in a house where we were always giving up to giving back to other people, um, you know, when I became an attorney, I, I consider, continued that tradition and uh, became a public defender. And never thought I would probably do much else because I just enjoyed that so much. Uh, but I was able to leave the defender off after nearly a decade, work for my state senator as his chief counsel, Senator Tony Williams. And in that capacity, you know, my eyes were open for the first time to the world of politics and how what happens in state capitals affects our daily lives, whether or not we're tuned into what's going on in Harrisburg. And so at the final moment of, you know, me kind of getting like solidly comfortable with that transition from courtrooms to the state capitol, uh, a vacancy arose in my district. And my senator was the first one to kind of give me an elbow and say, um, you know, are you interested? You live in the district. I think you'd be great. And I was honestly, Donna, not interested. It was not on my, my 2015 goal list, but um, I'm so glad that my initial, um, you know, reaction to the, that conversation changed. And I, uh, with his help and so many others, was able to be very competitive um, in a special election that summer and have been uh, thrilled that I did not listen to my initial reaction ever since, quite honestly. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like uh, you had so many role models and that ethic that your mom instilled in you to always be giving back to others is definitely apparent in your, your advocacy in the General Assembly. So speaking of role models, you are a role model to so many people and you've made history in so many impactful ways. Um, who were your influencers and role models um, your sources of inspiration and perseverance. So, you know, continuing on the, the first question, I'll start at home. Just seeing how hard my mom worked just showed me that as women, we can achieve any goals, we can achieve any dreams, nothing is out of reach, and that it is uh, not going to be easy, but, but it's worth fighting for. And then um, I mentioned in the first answer growing up in church and my pastor for just about my whole life is a woman, continues to the same woman. And she has shown me that you can be a woman in leadership, um, maintain um, a meekness about you with your leadership style, but still be highly respected. Um, by so many. And so that was a, a model growing up. And then as a grown up, you know, um, I have those mentors that I don't really know. I think everybody has them. <laughs> I'll start with the late, great Shirley Chisholm. You know, it's Black History Month. And she was one of the 
first few women to join the New York State Assembly, and of course, the first Black woman to go to Congress and reading her book, Unbought, Unbossed, um, just seemed like she was describing Harrisburg in modern times. Uh, but, you know, hearing about the resiliency and learning directly about the resiliency of women like Shirley Chisholm, women of the past, and seeing women today like Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who was also, you know, a floor leader, uh, worked so very hard um, politically, but also strategically with engaging people, letting them know how important it is that they are involved in selecting and electing um, leaders of today. It's just, you know, so many that I could name, but we don't have all day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, can you help us understand a bit better what a floor leader is, what they do, and what some of your goals are as floor leader of the House Democratic Caucus? Absolutely. So the floor leader, for those who are listening, is the head of uh, the party. So I'm a Democratic leader, so I'm the head of our party um, in the Pennsylvania House. And the main goal of uh, a minority leader is to be able to get their caucus into the majority. <laughs> but in the meantime, um, my day-to-day -day activities include a plethora of duties like appointing members to committees, uh, determining which of our members will be chairmen or chairwomen of which committee, um, working outside of the state capitol, doing campaign work, um, developing a strategy to help us accomplish our goals. When we are on the floor of the house, I'm given the privilege of being the last person to speak before the majority leader on any bill, on any amendment, on any issue. So I'm always ready to uh, talk about my members' priorities, amplify their voices and our larger constituency. Uh, Democratic voters across the Commonwealth, from my con community, you know, all the way to Erie, Pennsylvania, from Southwest all the way, Southwest Philly, all the way to Northwest uh, PA. Um, and then we also, you know, do a great deal of coordination uh, with our colleagues in the state Senate, uh, with the Democratic leader there, with, um, you know, Democratic members of Congress, with our president. Um, you know, I get uh, several emails and, and phone calls and opportunities to meet with our president, President Biden, Vice President Harris, to coordinate our messaging and have a strategy um, to show that we are in the same party and that we, what is going on in D.C., you know, helps us in Harrisburg. Uh, so we are, are doing a, <laughs> quite a few things, but it's been a really exciting journey. Thank you so much. And how do you use your position as floor leader to advance the issues that you care about, the needs that your constituents bring to you? You mentioned, you know, growing up, um, your exposure to role models and giving back to others in the community. How do you carry that forward in your role as floor leader and advance specific issues? So it's amazing that my neighbors, you know, just decided to send me to Harrisburg in a special election a few summers ago. And now I'm so grateful to not only serve them, but to serve my colleagues. And uh, many times in our respective communities all around the state, we don't always think that we have allies or issues that are similar um, because, oh, that's in rural PA or that's in Northeast PA or that's in, you know, the T of the state. So they don't care about these issues, but I'm thrilled that from my community and as actually a native of Southwest Philadelphia, I'm able to actually find solidarity with my colleagues and with their constituent bases and make sure that we are fighting to 
together um, and, and beating the drum, uh, for lack of a better metaphor, um, from the minority, because we don't control the calendar. We're not able to choose the bills that run, but we are able to uh, work uh, as a unit to do messaging on these issues, whether we're talking about public school funding. I mean, it's critically essential, not just in my community. Uh, William Penn School District in Delaware County in my district is one of the plaintiffs in the school funding lawsuit, but you know, uh, constituencies all the way in different parts of the state, whether we're talking about when I go to Reading and, and meet with their school superintendent, they have the same need, the same issues. So being the floor leader has been awesome because I'm able to uh, take the needs of my neighbors and, and find that they're similarly situated as other constituents in different areas of the Commonwealth, but we can work all together and making sure that their needs are amplified and that they're met. Thank you. And how can we all be working together across party lines and positions, whether, you know, we're working in the General Assembly or we're working, you know, at the community level, how can we be working together to advance the needs of Black Pennsylvanians specifically, and how can we do that through policy change? So that is an excellent question. The only way that we can help Pennsylvanians of any color is to put away our parties and our partisanship. Um, when we're thinking about the needs of Pennsylvanians, wherever they live, you know, we think about um, the people who are living in poverty, um, the people who are, you know, don't have a lot of options um, and, and are stuck in school districts that are failing. We have to put away our party line and our partisanship and recognize that when we are moving the needle forward for Black Pennsylvanians, we're moving the needle forward for Latino Pennsylvanians and white Pennsylvanians and Asian Pennsylvanians. It's not um, certainly something that we can um, just carve up because so many needs in the African-American community are also needs in uh, you know, our Commonwealth is predominantly white, 80%. It's also a need there too. So it's not always very unique, but we absolutely must um, know that if we raise the minimum wage, we're not just raising it for black workers, we're raising it for everybody. If we fairly fund schools, we're fairly funding every school district, not just you know the one that's in Latino areas. No, we're, we're fairly funding every school district. So I am uh, excited to know that we are uniquely positioned and postured to actually change people's lives. But the key is um, a part of your question. You know, we have to really put partisanship on the side when we wanna make sure we're protecting every voter, no matter their race. You know, to do that, we have to put our partisanship aside, not go along with someone saying an election was stolen and, and you know, be a part of a big web of lies, but really be honest, put our partisanship aside and say, hey, we're gonna be leaders. We're going to tell you the truth about elections. We're gonna tell you the truth about um, what occurred. We're not gonna be a part of some made up scandals. And we are going to do that because we wanna protect everybody's right to vote. We don't want throw anybody's votes out, no matter what their party is or what their race or ethnicity are. Thank you. As I said earlier, you've really been a tireless champion for victims of sexual assault, and I am grateful to be able to work with you in those shared goals. I know the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape is so grateful to you. Can you talk a little bit about your current legislative goals and how we can be working together to accomplish those and also how those goals uplift and address the needs of sexual assault survivors of color. Absolutely. So um, I'm very committed to making sure that 
uh, women, especially who are victimized, are able to have uh, all of the support necessary to be able to come forward, to be able to be supported through, um, whether it's a criminal or civil adversarial system um, in the justice system, and that uh, most importantly, that we uh, as a state government are supporting law enforcement so that cases can be resolved. So I'm very thrilled to participate in advocating for House Bill 1848, which creates the statewide tracking system for sexual assault evidence um, housed within our state police. Um, it would create a new system that's only centralized in our state police, which of course serve the entire Commonwealth. And it would make sure that victims are able to log on at any time just to access the status of their evidence. Has it been tested? Uh, where is it currently located? Uh, who to contact for help? So many times in a system like the criminal justice system, uh, prosecutor's offices, victim advocates, they're not able to communicate as efficiently depending on the volume. But this would really help victims. Um, the other one is House Bill 1413, and that is the human trafficking prevention awareness education um, curriculums for schools. And this would make schools implement human trafficking information into their health curriculum, including the signs and the dangers to recognize it. So many times people think that you're, you know, put into a van and hauled off and taken away into another state or another country. But many times human trafficking occurs in subtle ways, um, particularly with teenagers and adolescents, um, getting into just abusive relationships. And uh, as time advances, I've heard the stories of many survivors that, you know, they're hooked on a, a drug and, you know, away from their family and living in isolation and not able to use the phone and, and doing things against their will. So we have to, to educate people, especially our children who are on social media constantly to understand what is healthy, what is unhealthy, and what are signs that you may become a victim. Thank you. And how can listeners support those, those two bills that you mentioned? What do you think would be most helpful to get those bills moving? Yes, so I would encourage you to reach out um, to our judiciary chair uh, in the majority party um, and our education chair in the majority party, the human trafficking bill, there's already a free curriculum. This is not something that will cost the state, um, the statewide tracking system. Uh, we would be able to finance that. So, uh, and also contact your local legislator, wherever you live, however, um, wherever you might be listening across the state, you know, contact your state senator, your state rep. These are house bills that haven't moved, so your senators don't have them yet. Yet, but contact your state reps to let them know this is important and that you support these notions and that you want to see some movement um, throughout this session until we get to sign a die in November um, to get these bills across the finish line. Thank you. So we started our conversation with you talking about your role models and your childhood and your journey to where you are today. What would you say to listeners who are thinking about their interests in politics, their interests in advocacy, what advice would you give them? So the first thing I would say is that each of us have a role to play. Um, many times when we're looking at the news and we see lawmakers, we think, oh, you know, 
I don't have any role to play. I just vote every other year or every six months or every November, however often you participate. And I just encourage everybody to know that we all have a role to play. We're all in a community. We're in a neighborhood. Those of us who have children have children attending a school. And there is never um, a missed opportunity like a missed opportunity to advocate and to inform and educate. So whether you're thinking about, you know, registering people to vote, whether you're thinking about simply letting your friend circle know when election day is coming, or whether you're thinking about really getting organized um, on these issues particularly, it is necessary. As I was just sharing about children needing to know signs of trafficking, these are things that any of us can do. You know, we definitely want the law to be changed, but we also need uh, concerned uh, caregivers, aunts, uncles, uh, godparents, and of course, moms and dads uh, to be able to, you know, teach their kids and, and children around about the things they should know. Because so many times we have these ideas in our head about who it is that's victimized, who it is that ends up being raped. Um, and, and the statistics indicate that it's usually a date rape. It's someone you know. It's not, you know, the, the horrific things of being drug off the street. It's often someone that you know. So I don't think it's too early to start explaining to our children about consent and, and what that means and also how to be uh, very cautious, careful, and if and should something have already occurred, how to share it. Because too many times, Children especially don't think they'll be believed. And of course, um, we have talked to so many other survivors that are women that are just too ashamed to be able to talk about you know, someone in their life, whether it's a boss or even um, an ex-boyfriend uh, being in that type of scenario. But there's a place for all of us and we need everyone to be, you know, whatever that lane is, to be activated and working in that lane. Absolutely. I guess the last question I have for you is when you think about all you've accomplished and your vision and your goals and your values that you carry into your work and in your community, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, um, that is quite the question. <laughs> I will say that I do hope um, people know uh, in this space and in the time frame that I'll be blessed to, to be in this space because certainly um, it will be someone else's uh, seat opportunity um, in the future that people know uh, that I really uh, was genuine with um, wanting to do good and that I made every effort to ensure that many women will come after me and, and go even farther than me and higher heights uh, than me. And, and finally, um, that, you know, I made efforts as well to just show people what it's like to not listen to your fears and go for it. Because there's so many times from the time I decided to run for office to, of course, um, the fall of 2020 and to, to run for leader, where you, we don't think we should be competing, we don't think we're prepared, and, and we certainly don't think people will be supportive of us. But I hope that another part of the legacy will be to not listen to your fear, but just to go for it. That is definitely something to carry forward. Um, thank you so much, Leader McClinton, for joining us. That is all for this episode of PA Centered. Please tune in on February 24th for our interview with Leader McClinton and catch up on our past episodes to learn more about how you can help end sexual harassment, abuse, and assault.
If you or a loved one needs help, a local sexual assault center is available 24-7. Call 1-888-772-7227 for more information or find your local center online at pcar.org. Together, we can end sexual violence. Any views or opinions expressed on PA Centered by staff or their guests are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of PCAR or PCAR's funders.